Hey everybody, happy Ishtar, Easter, Zombie, Jesus Day, Lich Jesus Day, Pagan Sex Chocolate Day, whatever the hell it is you separate, because as I record this, it is actually Easter Sunday. The show that you're about to hear was recorded the night before Easter. And if you're hearing this before the beginning of the show, like most shows, that means that yes, there is something wrong with this show. Um, this show and the subsequent next episode that I'm going to be releasing with Stephanie Quick both have this weird audio glitch. It's something to do with our recording program. I'm going to be switching the program because I'm at my wits end with it, where it clips the audio. Somebody will be saying something and it'll just clip it. Or what it'll do is it'll take the individual audio tracks and we'll put them out of sync with one another. And so people are saying things at the wrong time or whatever. This doesn't happen in this show, but as a result, I was unable to go in and clean it up and get rid of all the background noise and people dropping stuff or whatever. And it drives me insane because if you know me and if you've been listening for a while, you know that I am a perfectionist about this show and I have to make it sound as good as I possibly can when I put it out there. And I just can't fix this. But I don't want to scrap the shows. So if it were me and I were listening to it, I would say to hell with this. I can't handle it anymore and I would stop listening to it. But I'm still going to put them out there anyways. So we're going to be switching over to another program here this next week. I'm going to be experimenting and try to see if I can figure out what the hell is causing this or just scrap the other program and switch to something different completely. Again, apologies. Um, if you're one of those diehard listeners that listens to every show we do, warts and all, love you people. Thanks. I appreciate it. Having said that, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you guys again soon. I just wanted to put this out there and apologize for it because this, this drives me insane, but I don't want to scrap the shows. Oh, yeah, one thing also. Uh, big thanks to Jim Nettles for stepping in and, and filling the shoes of co-host this week. Lobo was supposed to, Lobo had family obligations because it was the night before Easter. Uh, Chuck Brewer was supposed to come up and do the show, but again, he also had family obligations because we're interviewing Danny B. Stewart, who was out of Utah. I thought, great, Chuck would be perfect because he lives right there and we got to talk about this stuff. But at the very last minute, Jim stepped up and filled in the shoes of co-host and did a really good job with it. So, uh, Jim, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. I just wish that this show sounded better. Peace, folks. Talk to you again soon. We are the wretched refuse. We're underdogs. We're mutts. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. So this week, in a rather strange set of circumstances, I was supposed to do the shows. I was supposed to originally do the show with Chuck from over at Wheel Nerds, and tonight we're interviewing Danny B. Stewart, who runs um, Provo Ghost Tours, and he's really into like Utah. But Chuck bailed out, and Lobo was busy, so I put the call out on Facebook saying I'm going solo tonight. And lo and behold, my boy James here, James P. Nettles, who's been on the show several times, said, "You know what? I'll come on and host the show with you. It'll be a lot of fun." To which I went, you don't know anything about the guests that we have on tonight. This should be interesting. So I crammed and sent you a bunch of stuff with like hours to spare. And you studied up on the guy. And now here you are. And we are not doing an Easter show. So hi, James. How are you? Thanks for coming in. <laughs> yeah, fun tonight. And believe it or not, that's still more prep than I've had to do some of the panels and stuff I've done. So, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, you were saying that. You said uh, you sometimes you get interview requests and you have no idea like minutes before or what have you. Oh, yeah. So, um, I like this guy. I've, I've, I was supposed to have him on the show several times, and it's always fallen through. But 
which I'm going to bring up to him on the show, when somebody says Utah, the last thing that I think about is ghosts and fairies and, and strangeness. The first thing that comes to mind is Mormons. That's Utah, Mormons. Mormons and incredibly stringent alcohol and marijuana laws. And the idea of somebody coming out and talking to us about fairy folklore, because I guess apparently there is a lot of fairy folklore around Salt Lake City in Utah. I guess every state has its weirdness and its strangeness, you know, for the most part, but it just never occurred to me that Utah would be a place to go for strangeness and weirdness. Do I sound strange in saying that? No, I mean, like I say, the first thing I thought about when I heard about Utah was a job I turned down because I couldn't have a beer there. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> no beer, no barbecue, no can do. Wow. Yeah. I just, it just never occurred to me, but apparently uh, he runs a blog and he's got these ghost tours that he does, but he's also starting to document all kinds of strangeness. I guess he calls himself. An animologist. He's not into being called a, uh, I don't know what, I, I, I guess a, a cryptozoologist, any of that strange stuff. He's got his own term for it, and he's really into strange history and all these kinds of things. Um, as I said, I've studied up on him, whereas you've had very little time to study up. So I'm kind of interesting. It's whenever I have another co host on the show, it's always refreshing for me to have questions taught, you know, thrown from a different angle and a different viewpoint and a different perspective. Because people hear me talking all the time, and they hear the questions that Lobo asks. So to get somebody else in here and get some feedback is always exciting and interesting for me. So um, I guess we'll just uh, wait till he pops on and jump into the interview and go from there. And uh, I guess that's it. Usually Lobo says, bye, but he's not here right now. So I guess we'll, well you know. Let's launch a All right, here we go. So with us this week is Danny B. Stewart. Danny, um, we've been trying to get this show pulled off for a while, but it always ends up falling through or whatever. And this time around, again, strange stuff happened. I'm like, damn it, I'm not going to give up on this show. I'm going to have you on this time. But you, um, you're a rather odd individual in the sense that you are out of Utah and you cover the strange and unusual in Utah. You have uh, a ghost tour that you do out there. You're now doing a ferry tour out there. Um, and me and you share a lot of the same ideas and thoughts about paranormal UFOs and all these kinds of things to where, um, correct me if I'm wrong, neither me or you fully believe in a lot of this stuff, but we all agree that something strange is going on. Like you don't want to touch ufology because the gene pool, the, uh, pool has been pissed in and it's kind of contaminated now. So it's kind of an area not worth exploring, oh, by the same, uh, but by the same token, you are very much into strange history and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about you to give people an idea of who you are and what you do, because as we were talking off the air, no one really thinks of Utah when they think of strange. Uh, me and James were talking off the air and we were talking about Utah. And I said, the first thing that comes up is if somebody says Utah, I go to Orleans and incredibly stringent alcohol and marijuana laws. The idea of fairies in Utah just sounds so incredibly weird to me and out of place. But you gather all these things and you put them together and you put this stuff out there. So Tell us about who you are and how you got into this. Well, uh, I've been literally doing this since birth. Uh, it's instinct. I, I've never not in my life. You were born not, watching In Search Of. <laughs> uh, essentially, like I've, I, I grew up on a haunted farm in Vineyard, Utah. Now, when I say the word haunted or ghosts or creature, you know, anything like that, 
I, I, I don't mean literal ghost or literal haunting in the pop culture media sense. It's just, it's a name, it's a term that people are familiar with. That on this, something, something was happening there, something is happening around us, and we're just like the mortal trying to explain the immortal aspects of the human experience. And foremost, like I, I've, collected the, I've collected stories my entire life. Uh, some I've collected when I was uh, much, much shorter than I am now, or I've lost the sources for them. I just have the memory and the interviews for them. In fact, I remember the very first interview I ever did was with uh, some gentleman about who, who claimed he saw a Bigfoot. And I think I was like like nine or ten, but uh, I'd never really tracked this person down. So you're so, 10 years old interviewing people about Bigfoot sightings? That must have been an odd experience, especially for the person receiving the interview. Well, uh, I, I never thought it was odd at the time. Uh, people, like it's just, it's fascinating to me that the the the, the varied responses that I'll get from people when uh, I talk about this type of material, whether I'm talking in front of 500 people at a college or in front of 30 people you know, on the street in downtown Provo during a ghost tour. My approach is, I think, a lot different than other individuals. Like, I, I'm not a cryptozoologist by any means. I, I don't, there's no such thing as a cryptozoologist. There's no school to become one. It's a term that people use. You know, uh, Bernard Hoofman, I believe, coined it. Uh, the, the father of cryptozoology, and, and it's kind of, it's almost, it's getting to the point where it's almost as polluted as ufology. And although it's not quite as toxic as ufology, it, it's a dirty word when it comes to science. So, but I, I'm not out there looking for quote unquote strange creatures or monsters in the same way. Like, I'm, I'm willing to accept the creature of Loch Ness being a gigantic eel or being a type of uh, unknown salamander that, that adapt, you know, uh, Roy Mackle's theories, mm -hmm. or even a, a type of uh, a nature spirit. Like one thing that I've, I wanna start working on more is the idea of a lot of this, these creature lore, Bigfoot, Yeti, Mayaka skunk, skunk ape, et cetera, uh, being a type of nature spirit or, or God lore, Native Americans or indigenous peoples, whatever that geography, because uh, look at the Makilma Membe. Are you familiar with that? I am, but to be perfectly yeah. honest with you, it is to my mind at the moment. James might know something. Dinosaur, about it, uh, dinosaur in Congo. Yeah, and Looks that's like, my, yeah. It's my favorite cryptid, and you have all this tradition and history of this this dinosaur. People say it's a dinosaur. It's a long necked creature of four legs, long tail. First thing they come to is a dinosaur. But they, no one considers the other options of like it being a type of as yet unknown discovered type of large aquatic monitor lizard. Not paranormal, even, but still very cool. Yeah, because how many of these uh, or creatures we have in zoos today were monsters? The, the Fuquang ox, the Komodo dragon, the uh, giant panda, the aardvark, the mountain gorilla, they were all monsters. People thought they were complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. And now we know about them. You know, The mountain gorilla is this thing that kidnapped and raped women for crying out loud according to the old lore. And it's, it's this pollution that, that, that's, that's coming into cryptozoology, uh, looking for a dinosaur in Loch Ness, a dinosaur in the Congo. Uh, one of my, my most trusted mentors, uh, Dr. Paul J. Bybee, a paleontologist at Utah University, he and I did a lecture together on uh, surviving dinosaurs in Africa. Like it's, it, the, the, 
the um, environment alone wouldn't wouldn't be able to you know hold one of these creatures. Uh, it would need a large population for it to be actually be a dinosaur. Now, do unknown animals hide for long periods of time? Of course they do. And the indigenous people knew have known about them. They knew about the mountain goat. They knew about the. Uh, a giant panda they knew about the komodo dragon but the the outsiders didn't they thought it was nonsense mm-hmm. and, and eventually uh i actually honestly you know i hope we never find out what a lot of these things are because then they're just going to be hunted a lot of the stuff i don't think we're ever going to figure out what it is anyways everybody's like well someday we're going to have answers to all this paranormal stuff and ufos and ghosts and it's like I don't think so because it's outside of the realm of the norm yes we've got technology we might be able to document some of this stuff a little better but at some point or other, it's just going to be something that's accepted as is. You're always going to have the skeptics, and you're always going to have the other end of it. But you know that I don't think we're ever going to find an answer to some of this stuff, and we'll, I kind of we'll don't want we'll to. Never prove real. We'll never prove ghosts are real. Never. Yeah. We'll never prove that anything like that is quote unquote real. Because then, you know, for me, the stories are, are entertaining. I think that these stories they have meaning. They have cultural meaning. They have folkloric meaning. They have meaning to people. They've been around for millennia. There's something that's keeping this alive, whether it be psychologically, whether it be culturally, or whether it be literal. And even if these stories aren't real, they're still affecting us. They're still affecting pop culture. They're still causing fear. There's People are still telling the ghost stories in front of the campfire. They are real in one form or another. Now, that's not to say, because I've experienced a lot of strange shit, stuff that I can't explain. Stuff that I would label as, you know, a fairy or a gnome or a ghost uh, using the the popular vernacular. But I don't know what they were. Uh, I've collected hundreds of stories that I haven't even published yet. I'm sitting on, uh, waiting for the right time. I'm writing uh, several books on the topics, and I don't want to be ripped off because there's there's another local ghost tour, just a bunch of uh, hacks who, uh, you know, they Google everything. Like, my ghost tour, I have hand collected every single thing on my ghost tour it took me over 15 years to create that ghost tour because i i didn't pussyfoot around i didn't google shit i didn't google anything i found everything i went and talked to the people i interviewed the people and and i got lucky to have enough stories in one small geographical mile area to be able to create a ghost tour there and and like literally on my ghost tour it's a two-hour walking tour there's probably less than 4% of what I have found on that ghost tour. 4%, if, if that high. And, and people, they don't, people who want to tell their story, they're looking for people that they can actually trust and who take this topic seriously. They don't want some snot-nosed BYU graduate who's doing it just because, you know, they watched, a, you know, Monster Quest or finding Ghost Hunter bullcrap on, on the cable. They want someone who has legitimately spent their entire life and sold their soul to this topic, and I have. I look at this topic in, in, in other ways that people don't, and I think that it's important that people have someone, and that's why people come to me with their stories. I've been fortunate enough to have people contact me to tell me their stories, so and that's where stuff has come from. You were a professor, correct? I was a professor at Utah Valley University. What did you teach there? Uh, humanities through the arts. I was an adjunct uh, instructor, uh, humanities through the arts, ten ten, and it was a, a basic overview, a historical chronological overview of the arts. But uh, I was able to uh, turn it into the closest thing to a uh, 
and uh, you know, to a, a cult class you'll ever find. I took art history and I, I strained it through a strainer of mythology, folklore, and the occult. And that's why my classes were popular. I would start out with you know, like a basic, you know, two, two, three days of like what art is, then jump into symbolism, looking at Hieronymus Bosch. And uh, are you familiar with Hieronymus Bosch? His uh, Garden of Earthly Delights, and that's his most popular Very. painting. Like, if you look at his paintings, you can find a, a alchemical and occult iconography. Well, let me ask about, about so as a professor and, and looking from that academic standpoint, were you then being held to a different standard because of the material you were de- dealing with and what you were using as an educational standard? No, I got away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I uh, I would teach whatever the hell I want as long, but I taught it. I mean, because I had other, uh, other uh, instructors come in and sit in my classes and they'd be blown away because like art is boring to people who don't give a shit about it. They don't care about art history. They don't care about who chiseled that or who painted this. And that's the way that art, art history classes are taught. But if you show them context and you make it interesting, you talk about like the uh, the Cyrus of Babylon, that bar relief, and tell about the story, the the kind of the, the archaeological folklore story of how there is this rumor that it was a pet Makil Mamembe creature that King Nebuchadnezzar had. You know, they think it's a, some type of dinosaur or you talk about uh, ancient uh, Australian and talk about the memes that were these painted on the cave walls, you know, how many thousands of years ago and talk about how they would, uh, they were paper thin things that would hide in the cracks and crannies of bushes and rocks and jump out and consume people and turn mm-hmm. them into, uh, you know, memes. You, you, you tell the stories of artwork and you make art interesting. And that that's just like the first couple weeks of my class. Like I had a whole, a whole uh, two weeks devoted to romanticism, the origins of horror. Do not get me started on the origins of horror film. That is- <laughs> That's another show I would like to do, though. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I got the shit, man. I got it ready to go because you, 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 you even and witches. You talk about witches, uh, witches in paintings. I mean, you know what you know what a witch's broom was used was originally used for, right? There are many variations of the story. Uh, I've been told the story, which I, I believe is a myth about uh, witches using that as a masturbation device. But I've also been told not a myth that they um, they also use them. They were the original because I myself am a brewer. I'm a home brewer. I like to brew stuff. And I was told uh, from what I've read that witches would sometimes use uh, brooms to use them as sign handles to put it out in front of their shops to let them know, hey, to let people know, hey, the the beer's ready or something like that. So yeah. a lot of these things came from that. But there's, yeah, I have heard the story. They about, were applicators. Yeah, they, they were, were applicators app- for the salve that would cause hallucinogens. Yes. They would fly, literally fly on their bloom, get high as kites, so to speak. See, I always I thought think- that that was just propaganda created by the church to uh, for more of a stigma thing. I didn't think there was actually any truth to that. The propaganda is the evil magic crap. That's the propaganda. Mm-hmm. The green skin, that's the propaganda. The, have you done much research on ethnogens and the origins of religion? Because yes. that's crazy yes. shit. And it's all, it all derives from that. It's all chronological in my class, but like the origins of religion can all be traced uh, quite, uh, in my opinion, quite well to the, uh, the stoned ape theory. You know, and uh, ayahuasca, ayaboga, all the different type of salves and ointments that witches would use and put on their skin, turn their skin green, etc. It's just it's just a fascinating thing. But the point is that you talk about this aspects of art and history to keep the students engaged. 
with all that is I, I would do multiple lectures throughout the semester about, uh, you know, local folklore, which we should probably dig into mm-hmm. uh, pretty quickly. So, well, being, being that it's 420, um, what do you think in terms of the local flora and fauna you have there that could be contributing to, like I say, a lot of the local culture that would have helped develop, you know, the folklore that you're looking at and working on now? Uh, that's not my area. I don't know enough about uh, ethnobotany. But uh, I, I knew someone who did know about it, and she claimed that there was a, uh, a fair number of uh, plants that could be used for uh, that type of uh, mystical and uh, magical ointments, et cetera. But I don't know enough about that, really, to say. Well, I didn't know if you had much in the peyote buttons, if you had much in that there was another flowering plant that's out of that region that's scrub plant plant. But sorry. Yeah. I'm going off the, off the rails. <laughs> So let's delve into it then, because as we were saying, when people say Utah, I don't think strange. I don't think fairies. I don't think ghosts. I don't think cryptids. Um, it's always let's go back to the Mormons, you know, and um, that that's really about it. But you have unearthed all kinds of weirdness out there. So do you where do you want to start? You want to talk about your tours? You want to talk about your haunted Provo tours or haunted Utah tours? Where's a good launching point for you to go into with your stories? Let's talk about fairies. Okay. So I've collected a numerous stories, uh, uh, mostly around Provo and uh, Orem, Utah, in Utah County, of people who have claimed to have seen numerous uh, one to two foot tall creatures, uh, gnome-like varieties. I mean, the, the four basic type of fairy folk is the, the gnome, the earth spirit, the, uh, the sylph, the air spirit, the undine, the water spirit, and the salamander, the fire spirit. And these people are will come to me or actually be on a tour with me and say that they actually see something run across, run across the little pathway. Uh, Tara, I'm gonna I'm gonna let my assistant tell you a quick story. Okay. Because uh, this is when we first started dating. Uh, she was actually one of my students, and uh, she came on a uh, late night ferry walk with us. So here she is, Tara. Say hello. Hello. Hello, how are you? Hello. Hi. Um, did you give me background of this story? I guess um, this is in Vineyard, Utah. What year was this? Do you think 2014? It was 2014. A few years back. Um, we were walking along a path. It was probably 1 a.m. on, like, was it a full moon? Maybe? It was the day before the full moon. Um, we're walking along the path, and I had walked ahead of everyone, and um, along the path was this full white cat like the size of just your normal house cat and just kind of looks at me and I felt like it was kind of strange because we're in the middle of this field and it's kind of fenced off and so there wasn't anyone around any other animals um and the cat kind of walks ahead over in front of this tree and I turn to look at it again and it kind of stands up on its back legs and literally changes in front of my eyes into like a little a little man that you would see from like 17th century artwork it's a big nose big eyes huge what? ears wearing i know it's crazy and i was it bull on shapeshifter i never experienced anything like that so i kind of thought like what am I, you know, what am I seeing? And so it kind of looks at me and gives me this smile, kind of this little, you know, almost type smirk. And I'm just like standing there dumbfounded and it he kind of bends over back onto his arms 
and turns back into a white cat. Okay, so you saw a, a gnome turn into a cat turn into a gnome. Yes. And then turn back into a cat. Then turn back into a cat, jumps into the tree that that he was standing in front of, and it's gone. Do I look like a cat to you, boy? Am I jumping around all nimbly bimbly from tree to tree? No. Am I drinking milk from a saucer? Like, I walk around the tree, I feel inside the tree, I'm looking, <laughs> and it's gone. I don't see it anywhere. And Danny was like, oh, did you see that, Tara? Because he was kind of back behind me, and I was like, yeah, what? What was that? And so then we had a good long discussion about that. But that was, to this day, the the craziest thing that I'd ever personally seen that I can't explain. So okay, the first thing that the Pat, first thing ahead. that came to mind was a Cheshire cat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the smile was like. It was like a, I don't know. I'm gonna lazy me for a second, kind of. And who's uh-huh. gonna believe you? Okay, now I'm leaving. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, no one will ever believe you. you. You know, it was just, yeah. it was crazy. Wow. Um, have you had other experiences like that? Not so much. I mean, yes, not that much completely in my face. Like, you know what I mean? You have so many things where it's like, oh, is that the corner of my eye? Or am I hearing that? Or, But it was just like, I can't, you know, that's what I saw. And I don't have an explanation for it. Um <laughs> Another time in Oregon, uh, we lived in an apartment in Oregon where um, Danny had seen kind of the same type of creatures or like gnome type men, but I had never seen them. I would just hear a lot of things. For example, Danny was at the U of O working on his master's and he was at the library and I'm at home by myself reading and I start to hear boxes moving in the living room. Danny has like over a thousand books that he owns, but we didn't have bookshelves at the time. So they're all in these heavy cardboard boxes and I start hearing them being pushed across the carpet, like like shoved all the way to the other side of the room. And I'm sitting there like, what do I do? Because I'm at home by myself. And I know that that's what the noise is. But I'm like, who is pushing that? What is that? So I text Danny. And I'm like, are you home? Are you are you the one moving the boxes around? He's like, no, I'm not home. So I walk out to the living room. And all of the boxes are moved, scattered throughout the room. So I grab the car keys. And I left because I was like, <laughs> But just kind of things like that have happened since I've been with Danny over the last five years. One more little Oregon. We'll get back to Utah because we were in our bedroom one night. This is the uh, remote story. Oh, yes. And uh, we were arguing. Well, we were watching TV. It was late (laughs) at night. We were laying in bed and the remote was up uh, on the TV. (laughs) Across, across the room. Obviously, we're lazy. That doesn't and, and we, were, we were arguing about, okay, you go get the remote. No, you get the remote. And we were just kind of arguing about it. And then nowhere, the remote drops on the bed. In between us. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, it was so nice. It was the nicest oh. thing. You know, but everybody has like freaky ghost stories and shit. You don't find cool, kind-hearted, you know, helpful. Like, here, here's a remote. You know, just, yeah. just shut up and go to bed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's one thing that I'm trying to get away from. And honestly, I think a lot of these dark stories, these e- evil stories, you know, scary ones, they're just people misinterpreting. They're people who've never experienced this stuff before in their lives. Mm-hmm. I like all this on my tour. None of it's terrifying, dark or evil. The, the scariest thing is the clown story. What's the clown story? Because I've heard you make reference to this many places. What is the clown story? 
Oh, God. I'm, Are I'm you tired so of telling the story? I'm so sick of it. I'll tell it if you really want me to. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't I'll have to it. if you don't want to, but. Uh, I will. I will. But for the record, I've said it uh, so many times. So, and, and this is on my tour, and it's actually the scariest part of my tour. Uh, in 2013, I was driving uh, down Center Street in Provo, where uh, and it was about 1 a.m. I was leaving a, a, a girl's house. I was, it was April. And I'd been helping her with her taxes, wink. Uh, so <laughs> there's this uh, park a little bit past uh, State Street in Provo, still on center, that's called Pioneer Park. And I'm driving, I'm driving by there by myself. There's no one else around, no one else around. And I see off to my, my left-hand side on the north, on the, sorry, the south side of the road, there's this, there's movement in, in the, in the park. And then I, I, I see, and it's, it's, it's a, the fucking clown in full regalia walking walking in the park at like 1 30 in the morning it had like and it was walking like almost exactly like the 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 archetypal patterson bigfoot film stance across the park but it had like the full full-size shoes had the full uh you know full bodysuit i couldn't tell if it was like striped or polka dotted really it was, it was pretty dark but it was definitely like a a red and yellow color and it, I'm stopped there right in the middle of the road, staring at this thing, probably like maybe 40, 50 feet away from it. It stops, looks at me, turns, and starts walking towards me. And I got the I got out of there faster than Donald Trump from an unscripted interview. But like <laughs> this thing, it, it, it's an it's an example of uh, the phantom clown phenomenon. And it doesn't mean it was an actual phantom or a ghost, but it's it was like uh, it was something that shouldn't have been there. And, and like the many stories that you've read, you know, people think that this started, you know, relatively recently with it. You know, it ruined it. It, it is bullshit, you know, because this whole thing started in ancient Rome and then it started it restarted in the 80s. And it's just kind of it's kind of flourished off and on. There's like it's like this pulsing type of phenomena that comes and goes randomly. And people say that they see these clowns where there should be no clowns. Mm hmm. It doesn't so do matter that, if it was well, a human being or if it was a ghost. It's still terrifying to see a clown uh, walking at one thirty in the morning in a park. You know, it, it, there's no way it could be up to good deeds. I'm not sure I actually have noticed it because I weigh, do way too many conventions. So that probably wouldn't have struck me as odd. My only question is this. So with phantom clowns, and I've always been fascinated about this idea. Since we have this idea of the phantom clowns, and since a lot of the old clown makeup is sort of a bastardization of death and the mask of death and sort of mocking that, mm -hmm. so do you think that's part of the folk folklore that ties in as to why we're seeing them? Uh, I think that – I don't know why that would be falling in. The folklore itself has taken a life of its own separate of that. I mean you can go as far back as you want to you know the, the old gestures and et cetera. Of, like there was actually uh, in Rome, and I don't know the details of it. Of this individual that was dressed in full clown regalia and would just scare people, very similar to like the Mad Gaster of Mattoon or Spring Hill Jack phenomena. I think it ties into that. It ties into the boogeyman or boogeymen mm -hmm. type of aspect. And a lot of it could, I, I think a lot of it, easily 80% of it, if I had to make a, a number, are just people dressed up playing practical jokes. Because a lot of you see a lot of photos online of people dressed like clowns intentionally trying to freak people out. Yeah, it's a great shot, too. <laughs> yeah. I live in the South. We shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. Are just being dicks about it. <laughs> but I think that there is a whole nother aspect of it that cannot be explained. And, and it may very well be, if not super nor, supernatural, 
there's something either psychologically metaphysical about it or just foreboding it. Just the wrong place at the wrong time for both people. Someone maybe just going home from a party. And, it, and like, like, this was in April when I saw this. It obviously wasn't Halloween. Funnily enough, since I started telling this story on my ghost tours, I've had three other sightings of clowns in Provo, one other in that same area. I think it was like 2000 and like 2000 and like, uh, like 10 or something before mine. Mm-hmm. And there's another park about uh, two miles north of there where there's a, it's like, I think it's called North Park, where someone also saw a clown uh, around the same time. It's, it could either be just complete bullshit, someone's just walking through, or it could be something maybe dark. I don't know, but I don't usually like to go to that, that area. <laughs> dark. Clown strippers. Can- Somebody's got an affinity for clown strippers in the neighborhood. Well, there's just, there's too many people willing to vilify this stuff. And I don't like to, uh, I don't like to go there because there's enough, there's enough negative uh, connotations attached to this type of phenomena. I don't need to do it. There's, there's people doing it and ruin it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's why like, I, I'm not afraid to go out. This is how, th- here, here's a tip for all the listeners there. If you want to have an experience, if you want to see something, don't go to a haunted house. Don't go to a quote unquote haunted house or a haunted area. Just go for a walk. Yeah. Go for a walk. After midnight in your neighborhood, go for a walk somewhere and just be aware of what's around you. That's how all this stuff happens. That's how Tara saw her thing. We went for a walk in a park. Yeah, that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I saw a car. It was an old hearse, and I didn't get a good look at the people inside of it, but they all had like, there was like three people in it, and they all had like Robert Smith haircuts. And they look like vampires. It's the only way to put it. And then the car to the back of the park. It's a round park with only two ways in. And that was it. I didn't see the car. I went looking for it. I was on Facebook going, oh, my God, blah, freaking out. And I never, I never found the car after that. But it was like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. I was the only person in the park walking the dog. And this little this hearse, this old hearse is just driving real slowly through the park. It was a pretty good distance. But it was still like, what the hell is going on? I'm sure it was just a couple of, of goth guys or goth kids out driving around in a, in a hearse, you know, trying to look cool or whatever. But it was mm-hmm. weird. You know, it was it was very bizarre. But it was, you know, it was a public, a very public place. And it was like, all right, that's different. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But even like more uh, esoteric phenomena can pop up. And, and people have experiences all the time, but they, they, they never report them because they're afraid of being shunned. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, pro- what I call the Provo Vortex, I've dubbed it this. It's my baby, and I've been looking at this for almost uh, 15 or 16 years. It's this little area in a Grand View neighborhood mm-hmm. where there are all all manner of stories of uh, time distortion, teleportation, fairy folk, gnomes, sills, uh, and and I in fact uh, I'll tell you a story where where just recently uh, I guess it was too recently I'm trying to remember what date it was it was last year and I think it was around September where I took a group of uh, of people about nine people on a ferry walk now these ferry walks I do I do them once every blue moon literally uh, I don't I only allow about nine or ten people on this tour like my ghost tour can be up to thirty plus this was a lot more intimate. And it's just a walk. And we meet at the Provo Macy's and we get on the Provo River Trail and just walk west towards this park called Lions Park. And when we got there, we uh, we started walking around Lions Park. And on the far west side of the park, there is this very steep, about 40 foot high incline. that goes up to another street called Jordan Avenue. 
and the the incline is so steep there's no way you could actually just walk up it uh, especially at night and especially since there's so many like uh, uh, tree trunks etc all laying out it'd be very dangerous you'd fall and break your leg or head well and there's a lot of uh, overgrowth still and there's nothing uh, I guess now I remember the exact date the exact date was around April it wasn't September that was a different walk entirely and because there's a lot of overgrowth hanging over the fence and so there is this fence blocking the inclined area and a lot of this overgrowth and trees that were kind of hanging down and as the group of us were by this fence, we started to hear this this tapping uh, against the fence post, like something was taking these little twigs and hitting the hitting the fence with a chain leak fence. Mm-hmm. So I'm stopped there and I'm looking at this. And my colleague Andrew Kosorek, he's there too, looking at this. And everyone is like, we're right in front of it, and everyone else is kind of scattered around, kind of freaking out. One, when I first saw this, I thought it was like a raccoon, an animal. But when we got close to the fence, it didn't run away, whatever it was. It kept tapping on the fence. And we were like less than a foot away from the fence. One tapping turned to another creature tapping, turned to multiple teacher uh, things tapping. So we had about 15 or 20 different things and throwing twigs at the fence. And then these things were going up into the trees and dropping twigs down. So this wasn't a squirrel or, or a raccoon or anything. No, that's what, that was my first uh, my first thought. It was just one thing, but it ended up being like fifteen or twenty of the if, if memory uh, serves me right. So it wasn't and, an army of squirrels or raccoons or anything. <laughs> no, no way, no way it was that. I don't know what the hell it was, but everyone was getting really freaked out and, and getting out of there because uh, it was like a family with me, and and they were like at the point of tears because whatever this was, and eventually all these people they they run off and they're probably about uh, thirty or forty yards away from me. I'm here staring at this thing, trying to talk to it. Some of these things followed the people as they were walking. And that's why they were freaking out so much. They were following the people as we were, uh, they were walking away, tapping the fence. And some were staying right in front of me. Well, I'm there by myself. Something jumps over the fence about two feet tall. I couldn't see very many details. About the height of what a raccoon would be standing on its hind legs. It was chunky like that, too jumps over the fence, it's hiding behind the brush of the of the tree limb that's hanging over the uh, the fence. I see a little hand take the take the uh, the the plant and brush it aside and I see a face. And then I yell at everyone to come back. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the thing, they start coming and it jumps back over the fence. I don't know what it was. What did it look like? It looked like a, a little fat person, or or it could have been a really fat, a little fat look, raccoon. But I don't know raccoons that can jump that high. I know they can climb, but they can't jump, you know, seven feet, to my knowledge. Not normally, so, not that I know of. But uh, that's so that's an example of my fairy tour. And whenever I do these tours, uh, originally I, I did it for my for little small groups of students when I was teaching. Because they'd, they'd beg and plead to go on these little fair walks. And every single time, without fail, something different happens on on one of these tours. Whether uh, sometimes they will see uh, a, a strange figure. Sometimes they will see uh, little lights scurrying across the field. Sometimes they'll see a tall, 9-foot tall, 15-foot tall being standing next to a tree. The coolest thing about this, and why I've named it the Provo Vortex 
is there are there's this one part of the trail on the Provo River Trail. You'll just be walking, and uh, you'll be walking on the trail, and all of a sudden you're a mile off course. You're you're a mile farther west down by the freeway. You don't feel anything. There's no disorientation. It's just all of a sudden you're a mile further than you should have been, and you should have only probably walked less than you know five or six feet. And I've called it the three-minute mile. And it's happened to me on multiple occasions. It's happened to me with multiple witnesses at the same time. There's people who have gone on this walk by themselves and it's happened to them. A uh, college professor at Utah University who came on my ghost tour when I was talking about this at the end of the tour, he had experienced it, but he didn't know who the hell to talk to. He hadn't heard anything about it. And he, she shared the full story with me. It's happening to people. They're, they're just walking. And either time is sped up or something just picks them up and moves them. But the thing is, you don't feel anything. It's not like, like I said, there's no disorientation. Something picks you up and moves you. And it's, it's all area. And I've collected enough stories that leads me to believe that this is a very special area full of amazing folklore. Oh, <laughs> here's a fun question then. How close are you to the famed Skinwalker Ranch? Uh, it is... Oh, it's probably two or three hours away from from us. It's up in Vernal. It's it's about it's uh it's uh, north from us, about two or three hours away north. I've never actually been to it. I've I'm kind of bored with the idea of it because so many people uh, have talked about it. Like one thing I don't like to do, I don't like to beat stuff to death. And uh, there's enough people re talking about the the Skinwalker Ranch. I don't need to. Mm-hmm. And I find I find new material. And I, I, I think that's one thing people aren't doing is they everyone. Everyone's talking about, you know, the same the same fucking haunted house <laughs> that's been beat to death on television or in pop culture. Uh, you know, how many times? Yeah, that's there's a lot of that stuff that we don't cover on the show because there's so many other shows that do that. You know, we don't want to be in that thing. Plus, we've we've probably already heard about it or something. That more, we're more interested in finding the more obscure. So, let's move on to your ghost hunting tours. So I don't want to call them ghost hunting tours. Your ghost tours, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. You got any stories like that you could tell, or any places you could talk about in particular? Well, yeah, uh, that are on the tour specifically. Yeah, sure. Well, pretty much anything strange in the area that you'd like to talk about, because. Like you often talk about your tour, and you talk about the the uh, the ferry, the um, I'm sorry, the ferry tour. I just, I just lost my breath there for. But um, you know, are there any stories that you don't normally get to talk about when you're on other shows? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of stories I don't I don't talk about uh, mainly on purpose. But let me think of one that I'll share with you. I haven't shared with anyone before. Real quick. One thing I haven't really talked about on air is the, uh, the the story I just wrote about, which would be the uh, the flying manta ray. Yes, that's what I was gonna. I forgot to bring that up. Go right ahead. So this thing, I uh, I stumbled upon it by accident, and uh, I, I'm proud to say this is my cryptid I have introduced to cryptozoology. Uh, I first heard about it, you know, uh, about uh, ten or so years ago from some woman that just uh, started telling me about it. And I, I, I thought that it was just complete, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously at all. I didn't until uh, another couple years later, a second person came up with almost an identical story. Now this thing is apparently, 
the way the reason I call it a flying black manta ray is because that's exactly how it's described. They say that they see a gigantic, like 14, 14 foot wi- uh, wing length, so like you know, uh, and uh, you know, twenty foot uh, body length with tail, flying about you know four hundred feet in the air across the sky, and each each time it's flying from the uh, the southeast and flying northwest over downtown Provo. Uh, and, and it goes over what used to be the Provo Tabernacle, now the Provo Temple. It uh, it makes no noise. These people, they, they say that it just uh, glides across across the, the sky. And uh, immediately, you know, I'd think of a glider or a low-flying plane or a drone. But each time, people say they swear it was like a living thing, the way it moved. It had like moving wings. So I've had like five different accounts of, of flying manta ray in, in downtown Provo. And I, I have no idea what, what this could be. My, my best guess is, you know, uh, hesitatingly uh, drifting into ufology. Could it be some type of, of uh, mm-hmm. literal unidentified? Well, obviously it's an identified flying object, mm-hmm. but could it be extraterrestrial? Could it be government? Could it be uh, a living creature? You know, like like the rods, the, the mm-hmm. rods uh, of ufology folklore. I don't know. Funny enough, the way that people, and the best way that I get stories is by talking about this thing, and then people realize that other people have seen it. So on this tour, uh, last year I was doing a special uh, special tour, on, and I was talking about the flying manta ray, and Tara was uh, on the tour. She usually is always on the tour, and she saw one of the, the people, one of the attendees, start to act really uh, taken aback, almost uh, felt, looking like it felt really uncomfortable, so she approached him. And he, he tells her, like, uh, I saw this thing. Uh, I saw it, but I saw it over by the hospital, which was probably, you know, a mile away from where we are. And he said it was climbing on the side of the hospital, like 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 a bat would climb on, on a barn, on the side of a barn. Hmm. And, it got, and it got to the top of the, top of the, the high tower, jumped, and then flew uh, towards the, uh, the, uh, the northwest, where it always seems to fly to and then disappear. And I tried to get this guy to talk to me, but he 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 really wouldn't he wouldn't go into any much detail. So all only information I have from him is from what he told Tara that night. And it's unfortunate that and I I promised him he could remain anonymous. I'm not I'm not revealing who he is now. So dude, if you're there. listening, tell me tell me the rest of your damn story so I can catalog <laughs> it. But, yeah, I'm trying to remember where it's at because that reminds me a little bit of some of the gargoyle stories that came out of the West in the late 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like the Mothman or the Owlman. Mm-hmm. All those types of things fall in this category. There there are other places throughout the country, throughout the world, where they're seeing things like this. But And they've been dubbed, you know, this is our manta ray. Our, the Provo manta ray is another Mothman type thing. It's, it's, it's there now. And I'm and I'm looking forward to uh, you know collecting more stories because people uh, I guarantee it people will inevitably approach about this thing again whether it be on the next ghost tour or they'll email me but uh, they're, they're, this this story is not done that thing's out there whatever the hell it is whether it be a thought form or an actual flying creature you know to be to be continued it's it's not done until I get to pet the thing that's how I uh, <laughs> that's why I'm gauging this it's not done until I get to pet whatever the hell it is. So how See often if it'll do hold you? A saddle. Yeah, really. <laughs> how many people come up to you and tell you stories like this? They pull you off the side and say, "Hey, I've seen this or I've seen that." You know, is this is this a come for you? 
It's a very common thing, especially when I'm in Utah County. I'm living in Salt Lake City right now, uh, which is 30 minutes away. And believe me, I want to I want to move back to Provo as soon as possible. But uh, when I'm in Utah County, I'll just be hanging out at a coffee shop and someone will inevitably, uh, you know, approach me with a story. You know, it can be up to one to two people a month. I, but I'll always get because when they recognize me, you know, they'll tell me stories about uh, something they saw because they have no one else to tell. Mm hmm. And I'll listen to them and not mock them. And that's important that people have someone to uh, to share their stories with so they don't die. But that's how folklore is born. So it's I got to ask, why is Utah ignored in regards to this kind of stuff? I think people, well, because I think Mormonism has taken the forefront and it's kind of just a safe space. It's too safe to have these type of phenomena. But what people don't realize also is Mormons, Mormons are my best, my, my, my greatest audience. They love my shit. They love it because they, they are very strong. The, the Mormon faith is very strong in the belief of interaction with the side. The idea of, you, you will find tons of stories in, 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 you know, Mormon vernacular about their, their grandma or grandpa coming back. My 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 actual biological grandpa Edmund Spaulding. He has a story where he believes he well he's deceased now for many years, but he believes that uh, he was visited by a blue orb as his uh, his brother, his deceased brother. You'll find those in every family. Mm-hmm. And the the sad thing is, people are are becoming more and more hesitant to tell these stories uh, because I, I think. Uh, religions coming kind of becoming more commercial and less less mystical i think it believes they can be taken more seriously by removing more of the mystical aspects from it see in my experience i've i've always thought the opposite because with coming of ghost hunters and ghost chasers and all of these paranormal shows that are out there it's become more easy and more the norm to be able to tell somebody because I get the same thing. People like I always get the oh you run one of those kind of uh, para, you know podcast shows and stuff, which is not entirely what we do. But you'll yeah. get people that'll laugh at you, and then eventually once they warm to you, they'll pull you off to the side and they'll say, "Hey, I've got a story for you." You know, so well, I, I sit and listen to their stories. You know, but it's like, well, ten minutes ago you were laughing at me, and now you're telling me about how a refrigerator chased you across the kitchen and tried to eat you, which I have had somebody tell me. So <laughs> you know, hey, my, my biggest pet peeve is how people call me the Bigfoot guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've never seen I'm, you talk about Bigfoot. And I, I really, all this stuff, yeah. I, I talk about him occasionally in my classes when, when it needs to be spoken of. Like I wrote an article about a few tough stories. When it needs to come up, it will come up. But it's not my obsession. Mm-hmm. Like if I had an obsession right now, it'd definitely be fairy folk you know, or imaginary friends uh, I or, or even spirit. You know, I, I'm thought forms. Uh, I'm the and when you when you bring up those TV shows, let, let me let's talk about them for a second. I think they're shit. Oh yeah, you're not going to find an argument here. <laughs> I, I, they make they make legitimate researchers look bad, and like I've I've actually uh, I'm eventually going to be getting my own TV show. I, I've had a I've been approached by multiple production companies to get my own TV show. I have a TV show in development hell, it's floating out there somewhere, which basically Mr. Rogers meets Unsolved Mysteries, starring me. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I'm, I'm working on a documentary right now about unicorns. Uh, that's actually how I got my teaching position at Utah Valley University. Was I was invited to uh, after I graduated, I was invited to come uh, lecture about the uh, unicorns, and I, and I showed how unicorns were real, and they hired me on the spot. 
as an adjunct instructor. And that's how I got that position. But like I'm working on multiple documentaries, multiple books that are not are not normal, normal fodder. Because you can pick up any book at Barnes and Noble and you can you'll read the same story. You pick up the one right next to it, you read the same story. They just regurgitating the same shit. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I want to make a TV show that's not hunting for anything. I want to just share these stories and to help to give people the self-confidence to actually go out and look for them on their own and not not be afraid to talk about them and look at them from a you know a, a folklore perspective, but also you know a, a scientific perspective to to consider this as not just not just a pseudoscience. But it's it's a phenomena that that affects us every single day, you know. Why if this isn't so important? Why are why is Hollywood making you know bastard bastardizing them, but making stories them because because they're in our they're in our vernacular, they're in our folklore, they're in our day to day conversations. Well, there's also that well, genuine interest now too, you know, it's like that Lelornia one is just now about ready to come out too, you know. We've talked oh about it on the show several times, but. It seems like that uh, you have the same thing happen with uh, the Beast of Bray Road. It was on on the Sci Fi Channel for a little while. All of these stories, where there's some kind of a kernel of folklore to them, they've taken and made. Uh, the Dybbuk Box was another one, which they called it. Uh, what the heck was that movie they called? They called the Dybbuk Box. They called it something uh, else. Devil Box or something like that. Yeah. Um, then there was the one where uh, our buddy, the Robert Damon Schneck, was on here. The, uh, the you know his uh, story, yeah. the Bye Bye Man. You know, there's these urban legends and folklores that people are, they're coming along and picking, making movies out of them, but they're grossly distorting them and altering the story. These stories do nothing but make me mad. That's why I can't watch them. They just piss me off to no end. I refuse to watch that shit just because I know I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm just going to nitpick it and get pissed off. Danny, don't mince words. How do you feel? (laughs) You know, Don't I do have a I do have a dumb question for you though to kind of loop back to where we were a few minutes ago because we were talking about you know Mormons and you know faith and spirituality if we look at their own folklore it's very tied into mysticism oh, and absolutely. all of that yeah. so why do you again why do you think with that kind of a basis of, of Mormon religion and spirituality and faith and the way that works out there it would be seen as so suppressed or is that done privately and publicly they just want to go hi yeah no alcohol no drugs here no spirits because no one remembers their history it's whitewashed i think no one no one realizes the uh the magic and i mean that in in the most positive sense of the word and and the wonder that you know joseph smith would would write and talk about you know no one no one gets it because they don't want to look at it because everything now i think is very fluffy very happy very safe and they don't want to. They don't want to get people asking. I think that's that's safe for any religion, you know, for any folklore, you know, uh, within a religion. Uh, I think that it's uh, it's an issue of control, but it's also an issue of of maintaining what they believe is a status quo. I think it's easier for people to believe in an easy God loves you, God will always be there to you, invisible man in the sky. Quick description, quick explanation of the universe, then to really look at, you know, the mother goddess, you know, or the God's wife theories and all these other elements that that delve into ancient religious folklore, ancient, you know, studies where obviously contemporary religion has taken everything from, stolen everything from, and bastardized. It's it's let's just keep people focused on this material right here. Tell your ghost stories, but know that those are just They're just ghost famous. stories. 
They're just ghost stories. Even though all these stories, they should be, you know, strengthening, you know, strengthening people's testimonies, so to speak. Gold tablets and rosy glasses and, you know, magic hats. All that's good. And it's just, I don't know. I think I think golden tablets were golden Amanita mascara mushrooms, personally, but that's just where I'm at. <laughs> and if I say that too loud, I'm liable to get massacred here. But I think that's a good a good way to approach. Well, many spiritual experiences have been brought about with the, the use of hallucinogens, though. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sure. No, no problem there. <laughs> that works for me. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit before we go. This thing that you're you're starting about the um, the imaginary friend thing, um, yeah. talk to me a little bit more about that. What's that all about, or where where are you taking that, or what are you trying to do with it? Well, it's it's based on a, an imaginary friend I had when I was younger, much shorter than I am now, and I, I it, it's it's slow going. It's hard to get people to talk about it. It's hard to find. It's it's surprisingly hard to find people to talk about their imaginary friends because one they forget it. Or they think it's silly that they ever had one, which I find it's, it's sad to that people feel that way. But I, I'm going to raise the question, not from a psychological perspective, but from a literal metaphysical perspective. What if the imaginary friend is not all that imaginary? Because so many children have these entities, these quote unquote friends that have had played a, a huge role in their lives. As young people, and some of them, some of these things, you know, could be, would be, you know, brushed off as like something completely nonsense and fictitious by the psychological world. But these things, they, they, they held certain people together. They, they kept them, you know, from being completely alone. I, I grew up on this farm in, in Vineyard, Utah, and I, I was by myself a lot. I, I was, you know, I didn't really have a family, and I was mainly there all by myself. You know, from like, you know, junior high on. But before that, when I was much younger, I uh, there is this little yellow man that was. Well, first of all, let me let me give you some background here. The, the, the home I lived in when when I was living there, we moved out in 2000 when my mom and uh, dad, Asterix, uh, bought the place. I think it was like 70 or 60 something. I don't know when the hell they bought it, but when they bought it, it was I'm told at least 120 years old. And so, but there's two different, uh, there were, there were two other uh, families that owned it before, before them. And by the time I was born, everyone had kind of left, but I would go out and play in this, in this was a swamp. There were horses, there were porcupine, there were deer. It was, it was a refuge in the middle of an industrial area. It was a literal utopia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, when I think about this place, it was the closest that I think I'll ever experience to heaven on earth. So I would go on this on this house on the uh, there are these big, huge garbage trees. I don't know what they're called, but everyone would call them garbage trees. But they had huge like like four foot to five foot you know diameter trunks, and they're easily like you know sixty to a hundred plus feet high. And they're huge trees, and they just span. They create this massive shade over the home, and there are like these five on the on the west side that created this kind of little this little shaded area. And there was this one tree that grew into the house, and it was just as tall as the others. And I would I would go out and play on the side of the house with my Star Wars figures and G.I. Joe figures, and there was this little old man who'd come out and play with me, and you know, and, and thinking like this was like an imaginary friend. 
who'd come out and play with me. He had uh, very short legs. He wore little boots. He had a yellow kind of like a, like a mustard yellow uh, overalls on. And he wore, he had this funny man head that was uh, kind of wider, almost like a Stewie Griffin head, I would say. <laughs> um, not, and people say, well, it sounds like E.T. Well, it didn't look like that at all. And he had kind of slightly longer arms, but not, not too long. And he had like a little, like a little kind of dirty shirt on underneath the overalls. And he'd come out of the tree to play with me. Like walk out of the tree. He would walk out of the tree. Okay. And, and he'd, and he'd plop down and he, and he'd speak to me. He never said any words. He'd laugh. I could hear like laughter come from him, but he never actually would say anything. And he'd sit there and he'd take the little toys and he, we'd play together. We wouldn't fight with them but like I'd like dig holes and make mush out of the mud and that and he'd he'd play with them too and eventually like one day and this went on for probably like two summers uh, and he and he disappeared during the winter months but he'd, he'd, he'd come back this sounds like a dryad what, exactly right it's, it's a gnome variety yeah and, yeah. and I, I, I come out you understand a lot of my a lot of my theories come from two of my idols, Rudolf Steiner and uh, Manly Palmer Hall. So that's a lot of the my terminology comes from them. But uh, one summer I came out, I've been playing with him. One day I came out and he was gone. He wasn't there. Like I, I couldn't imagine him. Like I don't know. I don't understand. I didn't understand what the hell had happened because he just wasn't there anymore. So you tell me this. Does, ima- does an imaginary friend just stop existing? Well, there are a lot. What you're talking about, uh, because I know Joshua Cutchin and we've talked about fairy folklore many times on this show, um, it sounds like a, a parable where you have these fairy experiences where they happen up to a certain age, much like UFO abductions. After a certain point, people stop having these experiences and they stop having like UFO abductions and things like that. That all just seems to stop happening. Um, with a lot of folklore, not all of it, but a lot of it, these stories end at a certain point. Um, so it does make sense. There's this idea well, that me, they never stopped. They never well, stopped me though. Like all the others kept going. Like I kept taking people out and having experiences and seeing things that uh, I couldn't explain. Like this farm itself was a magical place. What was going on there? So I, I, I totally get that. That. Uh, that hypothesis about, you know, the young children growing too old to encounter these things. Mm-hmm. But it was literally overnight. Like, it, it was just, I played with that thing the day before. And then I came out and it was gone. And so, it's just, it's a different, it's a different type of uh, experience in that form. Now, when I think about it as an adult, I'll call it an imaginary friend, but you know, you got to understand like what did William Blake and what did the romantics think about the word imaginary, you know, that that's, or the imaginary is a, uh, a window to reality. Mm-hmm. Well, so I don't always look at it, you know, because there's studies around neuro neuroplasticity and when brain developed or brain development tends to stop. But if you look at it in people in creative fields, writing, artistry, things like that, they tend not to have it stop at as young young an age or continues to develop in a very different way right. than most average adults. So that would you know, beg the question, is that what allows you to manifest or perceive tulpas? 
Well, quite possibly, yeah. I mean, look at all the surrealist artists and their thoughts and mysticism. A lot of the, lot of the surrealist artists and Dadaists, they were practicing magicians, you know, and they, they you know. By the way, like, I appreciate that you guys actually know your shit. This is refreshing. <laughs> this we, is well, we, we cover a lot of this stuff, and James writes about a lot of this stuff, so... You know, I'll admit I'm shocked. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we don't. We're a different kind of show. <laughs> cool. Well, I dig it. Thank you. Thank you. And so anyway, back to the uh, the imaginary friend taking experience. I want to collect as many stories about the imaginary friend, and look at the uh, the the origins and when it went away, and if it ever did go away, and their experiences. And I want to look at it from three different basic areas. One is the imaginary friend as the Holy Ghost, imaginary friend as a deceased loved one or like a spirit, imaginary friend as fairy folk, much like what mine might have been, if that's what it was. And the fourth is going to be kind of more difficult, but I want to play with it because I find it so fascinating, is there are a lot of stories coming out of the Deep South and other parts of the world, too, of, of children playing with juvenile Sasquatch. And like people, like there was one story I, I was told a, a few years back. Uh, that there is this kid who these two children would go out and play in the field in the in the forest and they'd come back and tell their parents they'd been playing with their friends and they'd they go out all summer and play off their friends in the woods and they the parents would ask them well, why don't you why don't you bring your friends here to this well they, they they won't they won't leave the forest and one day they say you know we met we met our friends' parents so yeah what are their names well they don't have names well what do they look like well they're big they're hairy what do your little friends look like well they're short and they're hairy so that's just me. Sorry, and you know, it's 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 cool that there's these stories to be told too, and I I want to try and find a way to mesh that in if possible. I may completely erase that aspect from it, but yeah, I'm I'm looking about imaginary friends and collecting as many as I can for a full folklore perspective of it, and it's something that hasn't been done yet, and I think it's something that needs to be done. How's that going for you? Are you getting a lot of responses on it, or are people it's want you to tell you exhausting. Anything? It's exhausting because I'm getting I'm getting more more less people are coming to talking about imaginary friends than they are ghosts. Mm-hmm. It seems people are less are less open about their imaginary friends than they are about their damn ghost sighting. Well, the imaginary friend you've got the context of that you're slightly off your rocker if you talk about this stuff because when you're a child and you say you have an imaginary friend, people roll their eyes. Okay, he's trying to cope with something exactly. or he's creating something or what have you. So mm-hmm. you know to be able to come out and say that, what well, there, there's the there's the stigma of mental illness that goes along with that for the most yeah. part. You know, it's, but it's frustrating. But at the same time, you know, people had come out and say, yes, I have had encounters with extraterrestrial ghosts. Uh, now, to a certain extent, more and more people are discovering, you know, talking about four black eyed kids, shadow people, things like that. But if you say imaginary friends, wait a minute, the record needle scratches across the record and people look at you like you just grew a third head. So, exactly. you know, but the imaginary friend stories, a lot of these things marry, um, they mirror the fairy folklore aspects of it. You've got stories where people are like what you're talking about, where you've got the vortex and in Utah, you know, there's stories of people being called uh, quote fairy led, you know, where you're just walking and you can't find your way out of something for the longest time. And you'll go like, I've been through this area a thousand times. I know where the hell I'm going. How come I can't find my way out of here? You know, things like that. Um, there's the term going through the hedge, which you go into the fairy realm for whatever reason, or you're led into the fairy realm and never to return. Or if you return, time is warped and things are different. So these stories all kind of interfeed into one another. Um, what was once fairy folklore in many ways is now ufology and alien abduction experiences or Bigfoot right. experiences and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, it's it goes back to Jacques Vallée and all the things that he talked about. <laughs> yeah, it's just exactly. a continuation of those things. Uh. So, but what amazes me is that you have these kinds of things, again, going on in Utah. That's just not a place that I would expect to hear these kinds of stories coming out there. Now, every city, every place, any place that there are people, you're going to have ghost stories. People die. Okay, at some point or another, you have the possibility of a ghost. But you're finding things that are taking things a little bit step a step further. Like I never ever would have exper- expected fairy folklore or fairy fairy led experiences like this teleportation thing you're talking about to ever come out of a city like Utah. It's just that's just odd, you know. It's just not something that I would associate with that kind of an area. But again, where you've got people, it's like the show American uh, American Gods. These people bring these legends and things with them to wherever they go, and they kind of manifest wherever they are. Hmm. Yeah. We're holding on too much. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're doing fine. So, um, so. well, um, where can find you, Danny? Where Do you have a blog? you have a Facebook page? If people want to get a hold of you and talk to you about, uh, quote, unquote, imaginary friend stories or experiences in general, do people have a way they can contact you? Uh, Facebook or email right now. I had a, uh, I had a website, but the guy that was running it ended up being a meth head, so it kind of fell oh. apart. Oh, okay. Um, Don't ever have had to do your website. <laughs> where do your uh, articles and stuff pop up? Because you do write for you, you write for things around Utah. I'm assuming you have magazines or newspaper articles Utah, or books. Utah Stories Magazine, uh, predominantly right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm working on some other projects with some colleagues, which hopefully we'll get some uh, a different type of. Uh, a different type of stage pretty soon to tell these stories like uh, with the documentaries that we're building and putting together. But the best way to contact me is Facebook right now or email me at the stewiebaluie at hotmail.com at S-T-E-W-I-E B-A-L-O-O-I-E at hotmail.com and you know feel free to contact me with any stories or like a, a fairy walk or whatever. So I mean I'm I'm just looking for everything I can. Oh, I've shoot. Got. Can I ask you about one thing before we let you go? I want, I made a of note of it, and I complete, I had something on top, and I completely forgot about it. You've got an article that you wrote about the significance of the salamander and Mormon and occult lore. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you have time to talk about that, or is that something that's going to take up like forever to talk about? It will take forever to talk about, but you can okay. ask a couple questions about it. Well, I was just curious about it, because the salamander, that, that's another thing that I wouldn't expect to pop up in, in Mormon and, and Mormon religion or anything like that. Like, what is the well, significance it, of Salamander? It usually wouldn't, but I mean, in the, uh, there is this, there's this book you need to look at, Early Mormonism and the Magical Worldview by, by Quinn. Early Mormonism and the Magical Worldview by Quinn. It has the best explanation of that. Like, but, you know, there are just a lot of stories of treasure hunting. Like, Joseph Smith was a treasure hunter. He was uh, an alchemist. He was a soothsayer. He was uh, a practice cultist. You know, he dabbled in this. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, you know, uh, there there are some arguments to be said that these things that he supposedly saw, this Moroni was a nature spirit, you know, and he talks about and it, the the uh, story itself, uh, the Mark Hoffman, he, he forged some letters, but uh, I I think there's more to the to the story than just what the forged Mark Hoffman did because he based that. Salamander letter off true folklore. It's just and it's it's very uh, thick and sticky to get through. We we need a whole show. Okay. In fact, we we should do a whole show about that. It would be really interesting to really dig into the whole the uh, communism and the occult. 
That I'm would completely be a, fine with that. that. We could do that, no problem. Yeah, that would be fun to do. And horror films. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to let you go, Danny, um, and more things and more strings to pull on. And hopefully we haven't given you the stereotypical boring interview that you probably do all the time. But um, I'd love to talk to you again. I'd love to to breach some of these topics some more with you and see how much further we can take this stuff. Well, Uh, we haven't even the surface. Oh, that's great. I'm like, I tell frequently tell people all the time, I'm like a puppy dog. Once you feed me, I will just kind of keep following you until you kick me. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I I will definitely have you back. And you can slap him on the nose with a newspaper, but, you know. Yes. Yes, and don't have me on your couch because I'll continuously try to lick my balls. But that's a that's another topic completely. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, Danny, thanks for coming on here and talking to us, man. Um, if people want to get in touch with you about your haunted ghost tours in Utah, if they're out there or whatever, or is do you have a site or anything like that, or just no, just on Facebook, Facebook, okay. the, Pro, the, the original Provo Utah Ghost Tour on Facebook with Danny B. Stewart. Okay, the original Provo Utah Ghost Tour, with Danny B. Stewart. All right, man. Emphasis on original. Original. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming on here and talking with us, man. This has been a lot of fun. All right. You're welcome. It's been great. Thank you. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So Danny B. Stewart from Utah. Um... Again, the idea of going to Utah for paranormal, even though we've talked about it, still seems very strange to me. Like, the concept of of, of fairy folklore and fairies running around in Utah is just odd to me. But, like, the whole portal thing, you know, there's there's stories of these happening all over the place, you know. Um, The manor ray stories, I've heard many of those before, flying sky creatures for the most part. Um, I've heard of manor rays out west or giant, like... uh, giant sea flying creatures i've heard those stories before but again out of utah especially when crawling on the side of a building like a bat well that's why i was like that that almost sounds like and i was trying to remember there's a gargoyle story that came out of a mine you know late 1800s oh yeah the um ah shoot we had a uh, brewster on the show to talk about it the van the van allen or the van Me- Meter monster, van meter is, monster yes. yeah which is essentially a pterodactyl with a freaking laser beam on its head <laughs> Right. That's what it was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. Uh, which that story was weird because when that story happened, there was no concept of what a laser beam was or anything. You didn't. They they weren't talking about ray guns back then. You know, it's not now where it's like yeah, Star Wars, Star Trek. Everybody knows what a ray. Everybody knows what a ray ray gun is. But the idea yeah. of a giant pterodactyl flying around with a laser gun on its head. And I was thinking the same thing when you said that, but I couldn't remember the name of the creature at the time, so I just kept my mouth shut. Yeah, I'm but, not um, about that, but, you know. <laughs> props to you, set. sir, for being an excellent co-host and throwing some fantastic questions out there. Really, really impressed with that. Really, Why, thank you. Thank you. No, great. Thanks for letting me come crash and play with the party. So Yeah, that was that was fun. This was cool. I, I really enjoyed having you on here as a co-host. It was like, no, go ahead, ask. Do what you want. Say it. Say it. <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs>
so, uh, so yeah, yeah I, I, like I, I never would have thought about some of that folklore coming out of Utah. You don't hear, I mean, you hear a lot of it on the West Coast, you hear a lot of it on the East Coast, and he's still using a lot of very European terms, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's you, you know, it's Utah, it's heavily European background and whatnot for for the terms. But I wanted to dive into, you know, are are those the terms they're using? because that is the Europeans that are there that are the Mormons, or is that because we don't have good terminology from who the natives were that were there beforehand? You know, what would have been those, you know, would have been the nature, you know, the nature spirits of natives? See, that's something, you know, we don't hear a lot about Utah and Americans or people in that region to hear about those legends. See, like every region of the United States, you've got, okay, you've got, you know, like Nevada, you've got the Area 51 UF legends, you've got, like up here in, in the north area, you've got the Bigfoot, the Dogman legends. Down in Florida, you've got like the Skunk Apes, and every region seems to have its flavor of, of folklore of some kind or another. Like you can, every region has its monster or whatever. But again, you don't hear things. You don't hear Utah having its own kind of monster. At least, not that I know of. Maybe it does. If Danny hears this, oh no, no, I know they've got this or whatever. But you know, it's just kind of like it's like Utah. You know, <laughs> here here's Bobo the Mormon monster. You know, <laughs> just they don't now, have anything. Lake monster. Um... Yeah, I think there was a lake monster out there, which I didn't ask him about because uh, we were going into so many different directions with him that. I kind of got the impression also that he didn't want to talk about his ghost tours and stuff like that for fear that, okay, I don't want to go on the ghost tour because, you know, people have already heard about it. That, or probably talked about it ad nauseum to the point where he just doesn't want to discuss it anymore. So fortunately, he had things to go into. The um, the imaginary friend story about the creature walking out of the tree, I'm like, this sounds like something out of Dungeons and Dragons. This sounds like a dryad, or if it were a woman, I would have said, okay, this is a story of a tree nymph or something like that. But, and the fact it only showed up in the summer? Yeah, exactly. Because in the wintertime trees go dormant and stuff. So that that was that was a that was a cool and very peculiar story. I wasn't expecting to hear something like that. Uh very descriptive. Uh I wanted to bust out with the joke, the uh Black Sabbath joke of fairy where fairies wear boots, but boots. yeah. <laughs> I didn't. So yeah, whatever. That's because you're nicer than I am. Yeah. <laughs> well you could have wanted to. <laughs> I'm kind of like poking you on the side. I'm on, I'm on like messenger poking you. Go ahead, ask him that. Ask him this. So what have you? But um, since you were here and you did give me a hand on this, and it's been a little while since we've had you on here, um, go ahead and promote whatever you got. If you got a website, your books and stuff, because you are an author and you've been on here to talk about some pretty crazy topics. So uh, since you stepped in and filled the shoes tonight, if you want to promote anything you got, go ahead. Well, it's been since I've had any fiction come out because I've been in the nonfiction cranking up bunch of articles and stuff um but we i did finally release after six years a, a non-fic that's a basically a business for authors course um the book is that working on recording the audio book and a, a workshop about it right now i've been on the road teaching a lot of workshops for that um the company for that is called author essentials and we're in a partnership with falstaff books for that um uh, which is science fiction fantasy horror so if you're looking for your next round of sci-fi fantasy and horror go, horror go to falstaffbooks.com um or if you want to check the book uh go to authoressentials.net or authoressentialsworkshops.com and if you want the fiction stuff um it's jim-mcdonald.net um i am moving everything over to my own name since i'm finally mostly out from underneath the prescriptions i used to have um and since i finally 
am gradually digging my way out, so that's where the new stuff's coming out from under. Um, since he was talking about gnomes, I do have a new gnome book coming out later this summer, because, well, why not? A gnome um, book? What do you mean a gnome book? Well, I've already written one that's a, it, it's a tie-in for one of my series. It's, you know, what happens if somebody's killing gnomes and turning them into garden statuary. So the next... <laughs> It's called Nobody's Business. It's... <laughs> and if I tell that story on a panel somewhere, I will have five people stand up and go take my money now. Just take it. <laughs> so the next, I don't know why I'm surprised they're laughing at you. It just it makes perfect sense. There's something that you would do. It really is. All right, I'll tell the whole story behind it because why not? Um, I'd been to police school for writers. Four days of you know intensive psych you know psych stuff. Um, I had been listening to Kat, um, and I just went blank. She was trying to finish up the manuscript on the BTK killer case. Mm -hmm. She'd been interviewing and working with him for a couple of years. And so we got a prelim view of a lot of that book and the story before it got released. Um, You know, a lot of stuff along those lines. And, you know, four days of that, you kind of dig a hole. And so I'm on the flight home from Wisconsin and trying to figure out how I'm going to turn it into a business expense. And I got home. I had a little box on the front doorstep, and a gnome that's about a foot tall swinging a Tommy gun, mad grin on his face, and it says, say hello to my little friend. And I said, that's it. Somebody's killing gnomes and turning them into garden statues. And that book sells all the time, and it's it's just a fun little read. Is it on Amazon? Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. I thought I sent you a copy. No, I don't think you did, and I want one now. It needs <laughs> oh, to be autographed that. from Gnome with Love or something. <laughs> We, uh, yeah, I can fix for that. me we and the gnomies. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can write you something. Oh, maybe that'll be the third for, for all my dead gnomies. <laughs> for all my dead gnomies. Um, yeah, the next one is a heist novel called uh, Nobody's Home um, that I'm working on, and then the new series is going to be What Happens If You Lay Off the Middle Management of the Illuminati and Some of Them Survive. Um, that one was supposed to be out last year and it went to beta reads and it was like, yeah, this is not working as novels. I'm having to rewrite it as novels. So then after that, I can get back to the fourth book in the, uh, in the, uh, urban fantasy series. So, and anybody who's, since I'm talking about it anyway, anybody who's in the Carolinas or wants to come to the Carolinas, um, Carolinas is coming up first weekend in June. Josh Cutchin will be there. Um, I asked Josh to come in. Uh, I'm the science and tech director for it. And we'll be doing a lot of VR, as well as science fiction, fantasy, horror, all sorts of cool stuff. So, hmm, I I was thinking about that as we were doing the interview. Like, I really wish Josh were here right now, because Josh would have been like, he'd have been on it with some of the stuff that he said. So, yeah, there's a couple things that that I I heard because I mean I use a lot of fairy folklore in, in myth and legend and storytelling. So there's a number of things I was like, that's been, but okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> well, Jamie, thanks for coming in here and stepping into the shoes and uh, jumping on and helping me, uh, giving me a springboard to do this interview off of. Um, hey, I, this is a lot great, of fun. I had a great time. Uh, I need happy to, to do this again with you. Hey, happy anytime if I'm free. Um, so, but thanks for letting me come and be not Lobo. that's okay alright I guess I'll have to close the show out the normal way this is Rojan peace off from Detroit you can say whatever the hell you want this is not Lobo from wherever the hell I'm at oh yeah I'm in the mountains of North Carolina (laughs) take care man peace later
Look for what seems out of place 